one. Welcome back. It's the Mouth and Off show, the flagship show presented by Mouth and Off Sports. We are back and we're down a few numbers. We're down a few people. No DS, no Zach, but we've got myself, Ryan Brown, and we got Jonathan. So after a couple weeks of scheduling issues, weren't able to get together to record. We finally got two of us. Two of us to record. Jonathan, how you doing? Doing well today, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing well as well. As you can tell, I'm I'm hyped. I'm pumped to be back with mouthing off. It's been a couple weeks, so I think it's about time we get back to doing our thing. We're going to be doing our usual, giving our fantasy love, our fantasy hate, and our mortal locks of the week. But before we do that, I think we're getting to that point in the NFL season. We're entering week eight tomorrow uh, as we record on this Saturday, October 30th. Uh, We're getting to that point in the season where we're almost at the halfway point. So I think today is a a nice day to kind of do a quick little Pat's midseason review. Um, So I want to start with that. So, to recap the Patriots to this point, since it's been a couple of weeks, uh, the Patriots currently sit at three and four. Somehow that is still good for second in the AFC East. And they're only a game and a half back of the Buffalo Bills for first. Uh, who would have thought that given the record? Uh, the, the losses have come at home to Miami, to New Orleans, to Tampa, into Dallas, uh, the the wins have come at the New York Jets, at the Houston Texans, and you guessed it, at home to the New York Jets yet again. So the New England Patriots are one and four at home, two and zero oh on the road. Granted, two cupcake matchups on the road, but uh, it's been an interesting season so far. Mac Jones, uh, I'm gonna get. Jonathan's kind of grades on Mac Jones here in just a moment. But I think personally, Mac Jones has had a solid season so far. I don't think you can complain too much. Um, But overall, uh, the offense has still left something to be desired. And while the defense has been playing well, they've not been playing well in key situations. Um, So with that being said, Jonathan, Give me your quick first thoughts on where you are thinking about the Patriots place right now. Well, the Patriots um, coming up, they have a big stretch because it's going to determine whether or not this is another wasted season and they should just be vying to basically what they did last year, whereas they would have been better off losing some of the closer games they won because it just they didn't make the playoffs. They would have been better off getting a higher pick. Um, or if you're going to have an actual season, they beat, you know, they barely, they almost beat Tampa. They almost beat Dallas. You win one of those games. You go one and one in that game. You're now four and three instead of three and four. And you're thinking like, this is a potential playoff team. The unfortunate thing is, is that they lost both of them and they lost to Miami week one, which by the week, the loss looks worse and worse because Miami is terrible. That's their only win on the season. Yes. And it's just, it will be interesting to see. I, I, I feel like the Patriots are where they should be, I guess, at this point. Like, maybe they should be four and three. Like, the, you can, they're not as good as Tampa and they're not as good as Dallas. So, like, whereas, like, when you had someone like Tom Brady, maybe you win one of those games, you win games you were supposed to lose. But this is a team that sh- is losing games they're probably meant to lose. They're probably not as good as New Orleans. They're probably like it's closer, but they're they're obviously not as good as Dallas or Tampa. So they're just kind of are where they are. They probably should be four and three or three and four. They're probably around a five hundred team, but you know the way the AFC has been this year, and like you said, they're only a game and a half back of Buffalo or whatever. The AFC is weak. It's weak this year. The prohibited favorite out of the AFC has the same record as the Patriots, <laughs> at three and four. So 
you know, there's room there. They get some big games coming up against teams. They're going to be vying for the wild card spot. I don't think anyone thinks they're going to, you mentioned that they're close to Buffalo, but I don't think anyone actually thinks they're going to win the division. It's Buffalo's division to lose for sure. I I would have to agree with that. I I just had to put that in perspective to where their record is and, and where they actually sit. I mean, it doesn't feel like they've played that well. I mean, it feels like they're like, maybe they took, turn the corner a little bit, but you, you can't, you got to take that game with a bit of salt. Like 50 points first NFL players is an accomplishment, no matter what, but you're also playing against a team that very well could have the number one pick next year. And will almost certainly guaranteed a top five pick next year. Yeah. Yeah. I would have to agree with you there. Uh, as much as you want to believe the offense is, is finally ready to, as you said, turn the corner, uh, with that 50 burger last week, it is the New York jets after all. So you, you have to definitely take that one with a grain of salt. Uh, now, if they do that this weekend, uh, visit on the road at LA against the chargers, uh, then that's a different story. Cause that's a much better defense in the chargers. Uh, so Jonathan, give me your quick thoughts about Mac Jones so far. What have you liked? What have you not liked? Well, I'll tell you this. I am, for anyone that knows me, it, if you listen to this and you don't really like know me all that well, I am not a believer in young players. I am the first one to jump on the bandwagon of hating a young player and calling him a bust and calling him trash because I'm convinced that you either have it or you don't. I'm not saying that you come in right away and you're nasty. Obviously, that's not true for just about everyone there's you know generational type players that come in right away and are nasty but you show something if you can play you show something basically off the bat like you make a play here there and you're like wow this guy's actually got a little something and mac jones to me is that type of player he he's i'm sold and mike um well mike ayula is thinks he's like kirk cousins is like his ceiling no, I think Kirk Cousins is like his floor. I, I think I think the comparison I would do what I see out of Mac Jones right now is like I think where his career trajectory, if like he keeps McDaniel's and the way I the way at least I see him now is he's gotten better every week. I think he's got a Philip Rivers type uh, type path. Like you're never like oh my god, he's the best quarterback in the league. But this is a guy that with the right system around him, you know, he could, you know, Phil Rivers, Matt Ryan type, like Matt Ryan won the MVP and Matt Ryan won the Super Bowl. And Phil Rivers could have easily gone to a Super Bowl with some of those years he had in San Diego. So I've been impressed. Um, his, you know, he, he had a bad game against the New Orleans Saints, but I've been impressed with his um, durability to get hit, to get right back up, standing in the pocket, throwing. Um, and then what I haven't been impressed with though, is his, is his size. He looks small. He doesn't look very tall. I mean, Drew Brees was able to do it, but I don't know how many other like really small guys that can't move, um, have had, you know, a ton of success in the NFL. He, he just looks small. Like you'll see Herbert tomorrow. Herbert's like six, six, almost like six, seven. He'll look huge. Mac Jones is like He's listed like almost six three, I think six two and something, but he looks more like he's like six foot or six one. Yeah. Um, he just does not look that big, and that does worry me um going forward because I just it's just you gotta be at least, in my opinion, to be a if you can't run, you need to be tall. Um, and he can't run and he's not very tall. So that does concern me. He is six foot three, listed at two hundred seventeen pounds. So he's certainly not a small human being by any stretch of the imagination um but yeah i mean i I think that for what we've seen from him uh that you really can't complain all that much i mean he's top 10 in the nfl and passing yards to this point Uh, i know you you can start factoring in bye weeks now um so that kind of takes a game away from some of the quarterbacks across the league Yeah, and i I think ryan if it wasn't for a certain wide receiver in cincinnati he'd be cruising his way to offensive rookie of the year yes um the the thing that i will say though is the touchdown interception ratio of nine touchdowns to six interceptions 
is, I don't want to say troubling, but it just is an indication of where the offense stands. In yeah, terms and of I, I think that they were so bad in the red zone the last couple, like the first weeks of the season. And that stuff doesn't really, like the TDs, interceptions, like it's, it's rare that you have a guy come out of the rip and throw for a great TD interception ratio. I mean, like even Peyton Manning, I think he had in his first rookie year or his second year, he had more interceptions than he did touchdowns. And even Brady, young Brady was not, you know, his ratios weren't anywhere near to the where they were in the second half of his career. And granted, the league has changed since Brady and Manning were young guys. It's become a much more passing league. But I, you know, I'm more much more concerned about the size than the TD interception ratio because I think that that just speaks to the the talent as well and the play calling and that just has has been pretty poor, um, yeah. Especially in the goal line area. Uh, I definitely agree on the play calling. They if the offense has to as a whole uh, start opening things up and creating bigger plays more consistently and ultimately get more points on the board consistently because they're not doing a very good job of that either. I mean. Mac Jones is completing over 70% of his passes, and yet he sits at a QBR that is below average. Uh, It's 18th in the league, sitting at 53.6. So when you just look at Mac Jones, I feel like he's done just about all that he's been asked to do. Um, He's protecting the football for the most part, and he's running the offense efficiently. The problem has been finding the end zone and – capitalizing at the end of long drives and, and, and converting those into touchdowns and not settling for field goals. So I think the offense as a whole just needs to kind of get more explosive plays and ultimately capitalize at the end of drives and get those touchdowns on the board rather than those field goals. Um, that's, that's where I stand with Mac Jones you can flip over to the other side of the ball. The defense really has played pretty well. I would say, Uh, I mean, they've only given up 20. The defense has only given up uh, 21 points or more on, I believe three occasions, Uh, the saints game. uh, There was a pick six, so I'm not going to count that against them. So they only allowed about 21 points Texans. They allowed 22 points. And then the Dallas game goes into overtime. They allow 35 points in a loss. So that's that's the one real game where the defense kind of lets you down, if if at all. Um, but I think for the most part with defense, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Jonathan, but I think the, the one thing that stood out for defense is their lack of ability to get off the field on third downs or in big spots. To get that stop at the end of a game, one possession game, you need to – get a, th- a three and out you need to get off the field and get your get mac jones the ball and for a chance to either tie or win the game and they just haven't been able to do that yeah i mean i agree 100 percent with that i mean for the longest time during the brady belichick era it was the defense it was like the the bend don't break defense now it seems like it's the bend and then break at the worst possible time defense mm-hmm. like they've been bending throughout the game and then it's like the fourth quarter, Miami, they need to stop after Damian Harris fumbles. They can't get it. Dallas, they need to stop. Can't get it. C.D. Lamb even scores a touchdown in the overtime when all they needed was a field goal to win. Tampa Bay, they need to stop. They can't get it. Like, it's just New Orleans even. Like, they were down, and then they scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter. becomes a one-possession game. You need a touchdown. I mean, you need to stop. You can't get it. New Orleans drives right back down the field and scores and ices the game. It's just been like the bend and then they just break at the worst possible time where you just, you need a stop and they just haven't been able to do it. Yep. And even in one of the few situations where they were able to get the ball back at the end of the game and make a a drive of it, they settle for a 56 yard field goal in in the rain. That's another thing that game and the Dallas game, just the, and like you mentioned, Mac Jones is, completing 70% of his balls. Like that sounds good, but that has so much to do with the game script being so conservative and yes. so scared to move the ball downfield or take a chance. Um, and especially the Dallas game, like they're almost midfield 
it's what fourth and two and they decide to punt like i mean that's game that was game yep. like you're gonna lose whether you punt or you go for it on fourth and two you're gonna lose the game because when dallas gets the ball back they're gonna score and you decide to punt instead of trying to go for it and then potentially winning the game yourself and they went for it a couple times on fourth down last week but I mean, I take that again with a grain of salt because the opponent, you're up like 30 to seven in the second quarter and you're going for it on fourth down. Like, okay, so what? Like this, if they go for it, like in the first quarter on fourth down tomorrow, Sunday against a, a real team in the Chargers, then that probably means they're changing their strategy. But I take nothing with what they were doing on, you know, they could have, they could have played two downs last week. They, if like fourth down could have been second down, they would have had to punt on second down if they wanted to, and they could have won that, that game last week. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so in terms of, of the, that kind of decision-making, do you put that solely on Belichick, or do you, do you think that's Josh McDaniels who should be more to, to blame for the, the lack of, of just confidence and a willingness to go for it in those situations? I put um, the lack of the goal line plays on Josh McDaniels. I put the lack of willing to go for it on fourth down on Bill Belichick because I think ultimately the goal line plays come from Josh. The decision of whether or not to go for it on fourth down comes from Bill. Um, So that's just how I look at it. I think if Josh has plays ready, probably on those fourth downs to call up and he goes, Bill, can we go for it or should we go for it? And then Bill goes, now we're punting. And that's that Josh can't overrule him. And then when it comes down to the goal lines, Josh has got the call. I don't, I don't think really Bill, I don't think Bill really ever calls offensive plays. Um, he gets the, and Josh makes the calls and he does run to Brandon Bolden on first and goal at the nine and he loses three. And then you have second and goal from the 12 and now you're toast. And that's just, that's on Josh, but the lack of aggressiveness, I think is on bill when it comes to the fourth downs, lack of aggressiveness in the red zones on Josh, lack of aggression in the play calling in the overall game flow is on bill. Yeah. All right, so before we finish up here on some Patriots talk with our expectations the rest of the way, let's let's hand out some grades so far. Give me a grade for Mac Jones this season so far, Jonathan. A minus or B plus. Okay, I, I'd have him as a B. Uh, I feel like that's not so much entirely to do with him it's just been what he's been sort of allowed to do in the offense so far i mean he's been good but he hasn't been great so i i've got him at a b what about the offense in general c plus i think they've come around the last couple weeks i mean you score a 50 burger like and as i've said before and i've said multiple times this show you know, it was against the Jets, but you put a 50 burger, that's a 50 burger is a 50 burger. So you have to treat that with some respect. And so like coming into last week, I probably would have given it like a C minus or like a C, but you put up a 50 burger, you, you get a, a bumped at least, you know, a, a quarter of a letter grade. <laughs> um, so C plus you want to tell me B minus um, because, you know, the offensive line has been so dysfunctional um, this year. Sure but I think that has to do something with the offense as well, because Trent Brown's the really one that's been like hurt the whole time. I mean, there's some COVID issues, but Justin Haran being terrible is just Justin Haran being terrible. It's not, you can't really blame anyone, but the offense itself for that happening. Yeah. I've got the offense at a C. Um, I need to see them put up that these kind of numbers, 300 yards passing a hundred yards rushing against some better teams before I really, and ultimately putting up more points on the board uh, is what I need to see before I, I give the, the offense as a whole more credit uh, defense. I would give an a minus um, like we talked about, they've done everything you can ask for outside of just breaking in the worst of spots. Um, so you definitely got to take some credit away from them there. And the fact that they don't, they seem to just, disappear in the big spots but outside of that as a whole they have been very good uh, so i would say a minus for the defense 
I I do think they're a little high on the defense. Um, I think them breaking at the worst possible time deserves them to get a lower grade. I, I would put them at a B minus or like a C plus similar. Honestly, them in the offense, B minus C plus. I think I think it's basically the same for the defense. Um, you know, they've shown some flashes at times, but then other times they look wretched. Like Dallas, I understand Dallas is like disgusting on offense and CD Lamb is is gross, but they just can't like third and 20. It was third and 20 in the first, the fourth quarter. And they, uh, whatever his name is, number one, Wilson there for Dallas. Yeah, Cedric Wilson. Um, like it's third and 20 and you give up 21. Yeah. Like that's just Ted, Cedric Wilson. It's not like you're getting beat by CeeDee Lamb. I mean, Cedric Wilson's a nice player. Um, you know, he'd probably be a wide receiver too on quite a few teams. But still, you got to get stops. Um, and I can I can in good faith give them an A minus when I've seen them just not be able to get the stops that they need. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so let's let's just quickly give our expectations the rest of the way. Obviously, this team is sitting at three and four below 500, but they're not totally out of it yet if they can string some wins together. Do you think that this this team can put it together and fight for a playoff spot, or do you think they're just destined to be a, a somewhere around 500 ball club that's that's really not in it? Yeah, I, I'd like to think that they can string together some wins. You know, I mean, tomorrow is a is a humongous game for them. Um, it tells you if you're moving forward off this Jets game or if you're just – the Jets game was a fluke and you're just a, a middler like you were last year, you know, where you beat the Ravens in a close game and then you get blown out by the Rams and you lose the Texans and stuff like that. Um, but my expectations, unfortunately, for them, I, I think they are – closer to where they are now than going on some type of run. Um, the AFC is down. I mean, you want to tell me nine and eight can get the seventh wild card spot. Maybe, um, you know, you can, you can make an argument for that nine and eight could potentially get you that last wild card, but I see them anywhere between nine and eight and seven and 10. Somewhere in that, I, I really I don't see them getting the double digits. Ten, I think, is their absolute um, ceiling, and I think their floor is somewhere right around five hundred. Obviously, you can't go five hundred in seventeen games, but nine and eight, eight and nine is where I think they'll finish up. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that, and that falls in line with what my season expectations were coming into the year. Uh, I I think this is a five hundred ball club. Uh, or wherever, as close as you can be in a 17-game schedule to it. And my thinking really hasn't changed much. Uh, the expectations the rest of the way for me are just not great unless the offense, uh, like I said earlier, is able to open things up, allow Mac Jones to take more chances downfield and is able to actually deliver on those chances, create more big plays, explosive plays, and ultimately put up more points on the board consistently. And yeah, the defense definitely needs to tighten that up uh, in those late game clutch time situations. Um, But I I think ultimately if they're not able to put up points on the board and this, this offense is just remains sort of basic in, in its, in its ways, I don't, I don't expect much from the Patriots the rest of the way. Uh, What you're seeing now is what you're going to get unless they can ramp things up offensively. All right, let's get into some week eight talk. So we've obviously not been around to recap the previous couple of weeks. So a lot has changed, uh, but some things have not changed. For instance, one thing that has changed is we have no more undefeateds in the NFL this past Thursday to kick off week eight, the Arizona Cardinals uh, took their first loss at the hands of the green Bay Packers, the Packers of which who were down their top three receivers in this one. Uh, So, and capped off by a last play of the game 
where Kyler Murray looks AJ Green's way in the end zone, except AJ Green is looking nowhere near the football and is instead trying to block the receive the man in coverage who then tips it up to himself and intercepts it. Uh, don't know what happened there. Very odd way to end a close game, but that's how the Cardinals take their first L of the season. The Packers win their seventh straight and now own the tiebreaker between those two. Uh, Jonathan, give me your thoughts on that one. I mean, it was, it was just like, I don't know how I didn't see it coming. It was the classic Packers are like, everyone's dead on the Packers. It's like, Arizona is going to blow them out. Like, I can't believe the line is only six and a half. And it's like, of course, the Packers win. Like, it was just the most, like, expected, unexpected result. Like, I can imagine. A.J. Green, that dude is washed. Um, he looked okay at the beginning of the year for a little bit. Um, but he's cashed. And Cincinnati's good at drafting receivers, clearly. But it just un surprising the result the Packers are legit anyone that thought after week one that they weren't very good um they've really silenced those those people after they got blown out by New Orleans uh via Jacksonville of course um but yeah I mean I thought it was kind of like the ending was kind of cool um I I I watched most of the first half I didn't really watch most of the second half but um just unsurprising result be interested to see if the Cardinals can get back on track. I mean, Deandre Hopkins uh, left the game hurt. Uh, he's a little banged up hamstring. That's the type of injury that can linger for weeks at a time. Um, so if he goes down, you know, they still got some good weapons out there. Kirk's okay. They just traded for Zach Ertz. Rondell Moore looks like he might be a hit in the second round, kind of like a Jack of all trades type, but you know, Packers are legit. I mean, that could be a potential NFC championship matchup right there. Yep. Uh, one thing that hasn't changed is the Kansas City Chiefs, since we last spoke, were last place in the AFC West. They are now still tied for last, sitting at a 3-4 and four record. Uh, we mentioned that earlier. They get the Giants on Monday Night Football. Uh <laughs> I, I can't believe we're in week eight and we're still talking about the Chiefs being below 500 and last in their division. Uh, it, it's crazy. Uh, the Kansas City, for them to um, be like back, they got to win this Monday night game like 42 to seven or something <laughs> like that. Like they need to just come out and just blow out the Giants. On Monday night. And I think they probably will, honestly. Um, you know, last week was a gross game at Tennessee, but they just got too much talent. Mahomes is too good. I think at the end of the day, you want to tell me they're, they struggle to win their division? Maybe. But I think that division is so good. Like, Vegas is a, a decent team. The Chargers are good, a good team. The Broncos, I don't really think are that good of a team, but they're – better than most divisions like worst team if you know what i'm saying yep um i think they might beat up on each other so i think you could see a lot of teams going you know one and one like the chargers already won at kansas city kansas city probably wins when they go to charge you know like the teams will end up one and one against each other in the division they kind of just beat up on each other yep um and i think that 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 can help kansas city because it's not like the unlike the nfc west where you have two teams that are just like there's beating everyone they play. Um, and then like someone like Seattle is like, they they're basically done from getting into contention in that division. I think Kansas city benefits from the division beating up on itself and they're always will be in the hunt because of that. And they can, you know, go on a little run. I would expect them to maybe starting this week, they, you know, in their next seven weeks, maybe they go six and one or something like that. And then that probably puts them right there for the division, if not in the lead. So I'm not, the panic button on them is, is, has certainly not been hit yet. You know, there's an extra week this year. So that, that benefits them. Uh, Cause every game matters, but um, you know, their defense is terrible though. That's not going to change, but I'm, I'm not that worried. I mean, the offense is, they're just too talented. It'll figure itself out in the end. 
Yeah, and the Giants are a good launching point to get back on track. The the Chiefs have beaten up on the NFC East this year, uh, 2-0, and beating the Eagles and the football team. And the offense exploded in both of those games. Uh, so I don't expect much less uh, come Monday night. Uh, what's one game on the Sunday slate uh, that you're looking forward to tomorrow, Jonathan? Well, honestly, I'm looking forward to the Dallas-Minnesota game. And I know that's the Sunday night game, so it's going to be, like, hyped up and stuff like that. Like, if you, if you prefer to me to give you a game that, you know, isn't the only game on, I can do that. No, go but, ahead. Um, give me – talk to me. Give me some this, Cowboys These Vikings. teams played each other last week – I mean, last week, last year um, in the COVID season, and that game came right down to the wire. I think this game's going to come down to the wire again. You have one team in Dallas that looks like the prohibitive favorite in the NFC East. And then you have another team in Minnesota that started off a little slow, kind of catching their feet, coming off a bye, which is which is good for them. Um, but I, I think this is going to be a good game. Both teams coming off a bye, actually. But still, in Minnesota, that crowd's going to be going going ruckus. Um, I think you're going to get a lot of offense in this game. Good for fantasy governors, and it should come down to the wire. I mean, the Sunday night game should be competitive. You know, competitive. I mean, NBC gets their pluck at games, so they should pick good competitive games. But I think this one, just on paper, you know, these teams match up pretty. I I would say pretty evenly, um, because the game is in Minnesota and not in Dallas. And I, I really am looking forward to. I think it's going to be pretty good. I think you're looking at like a high scoring, like 34-31 type of game. Yeah, that. I mean, the odds makers definitely like. The Vikings, uh, I mean, they've got the, them favored by, looks like, three at the moment. And I, I know home field probably has a little bit something to do there. Yeah, so that's basically there. a pick them because um, uh, the home team gets three automatically. Yeah, so that's interesting that they think the Vikings are on par with the Cowboys. <coughs> um, but that's, that's how the Vikings are playing right now. So uh, definitely should be an interesting one. Uh, another one of note uh, for sure is Tampa – at new orleans uh first place uh the top two teams in the nfc south battling it out um could be another future playoff matchup as it was last year uh but the the game that i'm actually looking at is what i feel is going to be a trap game and that is the cincinnati Bengals going to the jets i know the Jets are terrible. And I know I just watched our New England Patriots absolutely obliterate those fools in New York. But Cincinnati is five and two. They're riding high after beating the Baltimore Ravens handily. And now they go on the road to New York. I, I, I concur. It is a, it's a letdown spot for sure. I, it's a letdown spot. I want to see if this team is able to carry over that momentum and just keep full 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 speed ahead and blast through the jets or if they slip up and they kind of sleepwalk through this one the i mean the, the Bengals players are on record joe burrow amongst them saying like hey we've never really we haven't really been in this spot before like a lot of us haven't been here in a while so uh we just have to do x y and z and just treat it as such. And saying that is great, but doing it is another thing. And so while I think that the Bengals should be able to handle the Jets, I, I'm I'm actually very curious to see if they get off to a quick start and, and run through it, or if they kind of get their feet in the mud and kind of sleepwalk through the first half or so and have to make a second half comeback or second half kind of run to make that win happen. Um, so I've got my eye on the Bengals to see how they handle uh, such a big win last week. I think it's a good time now to move on to our usual picks for the week, fantasy love and fantasy hate f- with mortal locks at the end. Let's kick things off with fantasy love. Jonathan, give me your fantasy love for the week. My fancy love is this is a player that I think is a potential 
not just this week, but going down, coming down the stretch when you're fighting for a playoff spot these next couple of weeks in your fantasy league, this is a potential game changer. And that's Michael Pittman Jr. for the Indianapolis Colts. He's going to match up tomorrow against Tennessee, who ranks 32nd against wide receivers this year. That's last in the NFL for anyone that doesn't know there's 32 teams. We all know that last week's shutting down of the Kansas City by Tennessee is a fluke. Their Tennessee's defense is terrible. Um, Michael Pittman is the clear number one wide receiver in um, Indianapolis. He's gone over 20 points three times in seven games. Basically, where you would where you drafted him was either to be in a flex position or he was probably one of your first bench spots based on where he was drafted. And this is a guy that I think coming down the stretch with a team in Indianapolis that played a brutal first couple weeks of this season, they're going to be vying for that one of those wild card spots. And let me tell you his next matchups coming down. Tell me which which of these secondaries uh, scare you here. Or which of these games you think that Indianapolis isn't going to have to put up points or either will have to put up points to win or will put up points because they're playing against trash home against Tennessee home against the Jets home against Jacksonville at Buffalo home against Tampa at Houston his next six weeks. None of those matchups tell me that he should not be able to put up wide receiver one or wide receiver two production because the terrible teams that he's playing he should feast because they're awful. And the good teams they're playing, like at Buffalo or home against Tampa, the Colts are going to have to put up points to win. And this is a guy that I think is a bone. He's a stud. He's in his second year. He doesn't get as much credit as some of the other guys. Like he's obviously he's not as good as someone like Justin Jefferson or CeeDee Lamb, but this dude can play. And you know, I'm a Carson Wentz guy. Mm-hmm. I've been a Carson Wentz guy <laughs> for a while. I wanted the Patriots to get him. And I think this guy. This guy, this week, he's going to kick it off. He's going to put up wide receiver one, wide receiver two production. He's probably playing in your flex or on your bench. If you got him, you know, your first wide receiver alternate, I would play him over a lot of people because I just, I really like the matchup this week against Tennessee. I think, you know, the over under in that game is over 50. I think it's 51. So that's just telling me that the bookmakers think that there's a lot of points being scored. 50, over 50 in an NFL game is, is very high. Um, you, you don't see that, you know, a ton. And he's, he's, he's very good. I mean, it's just as simple as that. He Carson Wentz likes him. And I think he's going to get fed the ball because, you know, Indy doesn't have a ton of weapons. They get a good run game, but when it comes to the passing game, they're not, you know, they got some good players, but I think Pittman has clearly established himself as a wide receiver one in Indy and his schedule coming up forward. And this week makes me think he's a must start. You know, and you're probably starting him in your flex, and you're going to get potential wide receiver one production from him, not only this week, but the next few weeks. Mm. Now, before I give mine, uh, got to give Dan and Zach's as they submitted their picks earlier on in the week, or in DS's case, literally like 20 minutes ago. Uh, Dan's fantasy love is going to be Khalif Raymond, the Detroit wide receiver who popped off last week at his best outing of the season with six catches for 115 yards. Uh, He clearly likes him to have a similar performance against the Philadelphia Eagles this week. Uh, It is not a great matchup as the Eagles rank in the top five in terms of least amount of fantasy points given up to fantasy wide receivers. Um, But he certainly thinks Khalif Raymond will buck that trend. And he's available in over 90% of ESPN fantasy leagues. So uh, DS's rec is going to be Khalif Raymond for a Felix fill-in. For Zach, it's going to be Devontae Parker, the Miami Dolphins wide receiver. He's got a matchup against the Buffalo Bills this week. He's got a questionable tag. but he is coming off. He, he's, he's been hurt. He hasn't played the last three games. Uh, but the last time he did take the field, he had four catches for 77 yards and a touchdown against Indy in week four. Uh, so Zach likes Devontae Parker uh, to have a solid day if he's able to return to the field in week eight. Um, so obviously, that, if that game 
uh, Miami's going to need to put up points on the board. And if Devontae Parker's on the field, he's going to have to be a big reason why if Miami wants any hope of keeping that game close. Uh, so Zach with Devontae Parker for his fantasy love. For me, it's going to be K.J. Osborne, the wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings. Just like you were saying how the Vikings have been playing well of late, one of those reasons is because K.J. Osborne has been stepping up of late. Uh, In his most recent game in week six uh, before the bye, he had six catches for 78 yards and a touchdown against the Carolina Panthers. And this week he goes up against a Dallas defense that has been very fantasy friendly to wide receivers ranking as the sixth uh, friendliest team uh, for fantasy wide receivers to go up against. Uh, I know he's only the third option and he's certainly a boomer bust option for the Vikings. Uh, but with that matchup, uh, he, he still has the potential to pop off. Uh, he's, and Although, you know, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen are going to get their fair share of targets. And if Dalvin Cook's in the lineup, he'll probably be sprinkled in as well. Uh, But KJ Osborne has shown the ability to make things happen. And Kirk Cousins has shown that he's willing to to pepper Osborne with targets. Um, He's got uh, four games with at least six targets uh, out of the six. So he definitely has a, a, a decent floor for in terms of usage in the offense. Um, it's just whether or not he's able to capitalize on them. And for the most part, he has three out of his the four games where he's gotten at least six targets. He's gotten uh, 15 fantasy points or more. So if Kirk Cousins is able to look KJ Osborne's way enough, uh, odds say that he will deliver and have a solid fantasy day. So if you need a bye week or injury fill-in at the flex, I think Osborne is another solid option. And just like Khalif Raymond, he is available in nearly 90% of ESPN leagues. Let's move on to fantasy hate. Jonathan, get us going. All right, my fantasy hate this week is a player where I think you've got to start him. Um, just because the talent's undeniable. But I'm going Terry McLaurin at Denver this week. I think this is just – this game is too solid. Like, although Washington's defense has been pretty bad this year, but I think on paper at least, this is two meh offenses versus two okay defenses, especially in Denver's case. They got a solid defense, for which is unfortunate for McLaurin. I think this game just screams low scoring. Like, I would take the under in this game, whatever it is. But I think this game's got, you know, 17, 10, 14, 13 type score written all over it. And I just don't think there's going to be much in the way of uh, passing attack for Washington tomorrow. I, I don't think McLaurin, you know, as I said before, he's a talent where you probably got to start him. But I think you got to expect, you know, flex level production anywhere between like eight and 12 points, you know, six for six for 60 or something like that. No touchdowns, which is like, okay, but probably disappointing from what you're expecting from your wide receiver one or two at this point with McLaurin. And it wouldn't even surprise me if he puts up single digits um, tomorrow. I just, I just don't like the matchup. I just don't think it's going to be a high scoring game. I don't think there's going to be much room to pass. And I just think he's running into a tough, tough matchup. Yep. And he's not the only football team member to make our fantasy hate list. Zach has Antonio Gibson as his fantasy hate this week. Uh, No surprise there, given Zach owns Antonio Gibson stocks in many a league and is looking for the reverse jinx there. Shocker. Uh, And for Dan, he's got T.Y. Hilton as his fantasy hate this week, uh, going up against Tennessee, which, oddly enough, is the most uh, (laughs) fantasy-friendly matchup for wide receivers. And not so I, I guess I guess we're we're doing some reverse jinx here. Maybe DS owns some TY Hilton stock that I'm not aware of. Uh otherwise I'm not really sure why you'd hate the TY Hilton matchup uh this week when the Colts, like you said, are gonna need to score points 
to keep up with a Tennessee offense that is usually chugging along at a healthy pace. Uh, my fantasy hate this week is going to be Leonard Fournette. Uh, playoff Lenny. Yeah. Uh, and this is a similar situation to yours, Jonathan. Like he playoff Lenny, he's been a top 10 running back in fantasy so far this season. And that's despite not having rushed for a hundred yards in a single game. And the Saints defense, meanwhile, has also not allowed a 100-yard rusher on the year. So neither of those are likely to change this week. New Orleans has done well to keep running backs in check through the air as well. And that's shown by the fact that the Saints are the fourth stingiest matchup for fantasy running backs. Uh, Like I said, obviously, they're going to start Leonard Fournette if you have him because he's probably your running back one at worst two. and with all the bye weeks and, and injuries across the league, uh, you're probably not going to have much better options. But you definitely should temper your ex- expectations if you are starting or playing Leonard Fournette. As in two matchups last season, Leonard Fournette had five rushing yards on six carries in those two meetings combined last, last year. Is that good? Uh, I can confirm that is less than ideal. And he only had five catches for 41 yards in the two matchups to supplement that. And almost all of that came in one of the games. So there was one game where Leonard Fournette literally did basically nothing against the Saints. So definitely temper your expectations for Leonard Fournette against the Saints this week. And last but not least, it's time to give our mortal locks of the week. Uh, I will start with our off-air colleagues. Uh, Zach is going Carolina plus two and a half. I believe they're going up against the Atlanta Falcons. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jonathan. Uh, Yes. Uh, that should be an interesting one as the Panthers are on the road. Uh, going to be curious to see how long Sam Darnold remains in the game after being yanked last that's week. Guy. That's, that's my guy. Uh, uh, last week got yanked in the fourth quarter, benched for PJ Walker. Uh, the offense has kind of just sputtered after a, a, a quick start. And they, they've got to get back on track. But Zach likes them to do so to some degree. Uh, and Dan has Tampa Bay minus five against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, he loves him some Tampa Bay this week uh, going up against Jameis Winston and the Saints on the road. Jonathan, give me your mortal lock of the week. My mortal lock this week is the New England Patriots plus four and a half at the Chargers. I just love I just love the spot this week for the Patriots. You got the Chargers coming off a bye. I think they're going to be slow coming off the bye. Their last game before the bye, they got blown out in Baltimore, who then got blown out by Cincinnati. So I don't know how in Baltimore, I don't know what to think of Baltimore. And I don't know what to think of the Chargers after that. The Chargers are the worst team in the league against the rush. Damian Harris has been churning the ball lately, coming off 100 yards last week, had a good game against Dallas too. And I just think I just love the spot. I just I think that the Patriots can run the ball like they ran the ball last week and what they should on paper be able to do this week, curse the Chargers because the Patriots are going to control the ball. And I think the Patriots, the way I don't put a ton of stock into what the Patriots did against the Chargers last year, but you have to put at least some stock. I mean, I know it's a different coach, but a lot of those players are the same. Um, and I think the Patriots might run out right, but I think they'll at least cover. You know, this is probably a field goal game either way. Um, so I just, I like the Patriots um, plus four, four and a half. Uh you and I now have a burrito bet on our hands. Oh, all right. Because 
I am on the complete opposite side of the spectrum. I love the LA Chargers minus four and a half against the Patriots. And it's for some of the same reasons as you just reversed. The Pats are going to be riding in high after embarrassing the Jets last week. Like you said, the Chargers coming off a bye. They've had to stew over getting blown out by Baltimore for two weeks. Then you factor in, like you said, the fact that the Chargers got obliterated by the Patriots last year. That's going to be on their mind, too. So the Chargers should be out for not only just revenge on the Patriots for the embarrassing defeat last year, but just to get back on track after getting pummeled just two weeks ago. And I I just they they should have no lack of motivation in this matchup. Justin Herbert is going to be looking to not only get the offense back on track from from their most recent game, but to prove that he can actually uh, that he can do much better against a Bill Belichick led defense. Cause last year he got absolutely embarrassed by Bill Belichick. So I expect Herbert to play much better. I expect the chargers to play much better. And I expect them to be able to get a measure of revenge on the Pats at home. And while the stats say that the Patriots should be able to cover here, uh, I just, this is one of those times where I just throw those, the stats out the window. And I just say, there's no way that the Patriots can hang around this week with what the chargers uh, are going to be. If they play, if the chargers play with a chip on their shoulder, they're going to run through the Patriots. And that's what I expect. So I, I don't, I don't feel good about the Patriots at all this week. Uh, so it looks like we've got a burrito bet on our hands. Yeah. All right. Uh, I believe that is going to be it. Do you have any final thoughts on NFL week eight or any sort of look into the future that you want to get off your chest before we call it a show? I need a win in fantasy this week. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it is, it is that time where uh, fantasy leagues start to, Get nervous. So carry carry me RB1 Cordell Patterson. Carry me. <laughs> yuck. I <laughs> yuck. Just I have no comment to that. All right. Hopefully next week we'll be able to get Zach and DS back on the show. But for Jonathan Sullivan, I'm Ryan Brown. We will see you next week. Hopefully. Go to.